Rogers scrambles He's left, winds up, runs the ball. He's got time at the 10 to the 5. Yes. To the end zone. Touchdown. And a dagger. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Gone for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Brewer fans, welcome to the Brewers Trilogy podcast presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy. The podcast for not only them diehard baseball fans, but also for those fans who enjoy cheering for a team that revolves around beer. My name is Tyler, aka T Plush, your host for the show. I'm a contributor for reviewing the brew for Fansided and one of the founders of the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy podcast, where you can find all that we do on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod. Joining me, as always, today is good buddy Trevor, a.k.a. Sunshine Bender. He is the host of the Packers Trilogy podcast and is here to talk Brewers baseball with me today. And as a special guest, we will have Jack Stern on the show today to talk with us about his thoughts on the offseason as well as his thoughts on Keston Hiera and some starting pitcher and catcher talk as well. So we'll get to that in just a minute, but in case you did not know, the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy podcast is now on Patreon, so if you're interested in supporting us out for as little as $2 a month, make sure you go to the Patreon website, backslash Wisconsin Sports Trilogy, or they have the app on their phone, and make sure you subscribe. The Little Buck membership is $2 per month and gets you... A shout-out on the podcast and question priority. $5 gets you a bonus podcast plus everything from level one. And then the $10 Ultimate Cheesehead Package gets you the bonus podcast, the question priority, and then a special Packard Game Day group chat, which will be worth it because for those of you who know scott from our packers and bucks trilogy podcast he is one hilarious dude and is worth the money in himself so i'm sure these deals will change as we get a little bit more familiar with patreon but i encourage you be the first we don't have any patreons yet because we just started up be the first and it will be worth it we hope to make this worth your while it's not just about us putting things out there for you it's about giving you guys the listeners what you want and making it a better experience for you so go check all of that out so making his second appearance here is jack stern and without further ado we would like to welcome back jack stern to the wisconsin sports trilogy podcast he is our most popular guest of two times now. We liked him enough. We had to have him back. So welcome back, Jack. It's been a while since we last talked to you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Definitely can't complain. Survived the the snowstorm of this last weekend. Didn't get snowed in, so that's a positive. But I think last time we talked, it was around the time Yasmani Grandal uh, had just signed with the White Sox and was no longer going to be a brewer. So 
I'd like to catch up between then and now and kind of get your overall thoughts on the off season. If you've recovered from Grendel leaving us, or if you're you're still weeping at night before you sleep, or how's everything going for you? <laughs> I, I wouldn't say weeping at night over Grendel, uh, but still disappointed. I mean, that's that's a hard one for me to let go because I think that was the top move, like top priority for the Brewers, or it should have been. But obviously, they failed to bring him back. And really, just kind of what's happened since then hasn't exactly inspired a whole lot of confidence for me. And I mean, I hate to come on here and, and sound overly negative. That's usually not what I try to do. But I think the biggest, the biggest thing you'll hear with fans is uh, concerns about the payroll. The Brewers had a payroll. Uh, by the end of the year, it was up over the $130 million range. And now they're projected to open the season with a payroll of roughly $100 million. I think, you know, the disclaimer here is you should never judge a team's offseason or their willingness to be competitive exclusively by their payroll. I think that's just really short-sighted, and that's not a good method of evaluation. Um, what you need to do is you got to look at the context, and here's the context for the Brewers. They are right smack dab in the middle of their competitive window. Christian Yelich is he's been incredible to say the least you kind of run out of adjectives to describe what he's done uh, over the past two seasons and they have him for three more years I think I don't want to rule anything out but I think it's safe to assume that Christian Yelich is not going to re-sign with the Brewers after his contract is up in a few years Uh, just you know the kind of contract that he's going to be looking for the fact that he's going to be up over 30 years old Uh, Just the fact that the Brewers have never handed out that kind of money, let alone to someone at that age. I just I don't see him coming back after his contract is up. So for that reason, I'm going to assume the win. There are three years left in the window. And the Brewers had two positions that really stood out to me where they needed to upgrade. And that was catcher and third base. And fortunately, the free agent market included Yasmani Grandal, arguably the best catcher in the game. And then at third base, uh, you had Josh Donaldson, who is one of the best in the game at that position as well. Um, And so just based on that, you know, the fact that they're in the middle of the window, you have Christian Yelich in his prime, and he's playing on an an incredibly affordable contract, an incredibly cheap deal for the MVP caliber production that he is giving you. Um, So for that reason, I was expecting the Brewers to continue to kind of push the boundaries with their payroll and maybe get it up more in the 130 range again, 140 getting up into that that range. But that's not what happened. They they did not re-sign Yasmani Grandal for a contract that I thought was extremely reasonable for the considering what kind of caliber player he is. Donaldson, I mean that that frustrated me a little bit too, but I can understand why you wouldn't want to want to make a commitment like that to someone who is what I think he's going to be 34 years old next year and he signed Uh, Four years guaranteed. I think there was an option for a fifth year in there. But anyway, instead, what the Brewers opted to do was they went for more kind of buy low depth guys. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think David Stearns has certainly proven as GM that he is very, very good at getting value from those kind of bargain deals. But this is a team that is right in the middle of their window. They have Christian Yelich again playing at an incredible level. And right now, they're projected to go into the season with a tandem of Eric Sogard and Jed Jerko starting at third base. And that just seems very underwhelming to me. Uh, those are those signings in and of themselves are not bad. I think those guys can be 
productive players. But those are not guys who you say, yes, we're going to put you at third base and we're going to have you create a platoon and we think you're going to be highly productive. Those are Sogard and Joke. Sogard and Jerko, excuse me, are guys who you would sign more so to occupy a bench spot. One thing I will say, though, they have they have built some good depth. Um, you know, they have guys who can cover multiple positions. Uh, I really like the signing of Garcia for the outfield because now you have someone who is an everyday caliber player who can uh, step in when Ryan Braun or Lorenzo Cain need days off. So they have good depth there. Um, you know, and with the injury to Urias, who I thought was a very good acquisition to replace Arcia at shortstop, but now they do have, um, they can put Arcia back there or they can slide Sogard over and put Jerko at third base. Uh, at first base, you've got Justin Smoke, but you also have Ryan Braun who can play there. So they have built uh, some good depth, but the problem is it seems like they chose depth over making some big moves to add a more of a star caliber player to compliment Christian Yelich. Uh, and I don't really think that's what it had to come down to. I think they could have reasonably done both uh, because right now, again, they're at roughly $100 million, uh, in the payroll. And if they wanted to go all the way up to where they finished last year, that's like they had $30 million to spend. And ultimately, they did not spend it on anybody. And you're just comparing it to the last couple of off seasons that they've had. They brought in, you know, Kane and Yelich uh, before the 2018 season, big moves. Uh, the following season, they realized, you know, this is a highly competitive team. We need to make some more additions. So they brought in, boom, Grandal, boom, Moustakis. Uh, you're bringing in some, you know, high caliber in- impact players. And they really didn't do that uh, during this offseason. And so it's kind of hard for me to not be disappointed with the way that things have gone. I mean, I'm obviously still a fan of this team. I'm going to watch this team. I'm going to hope that everything works out for the best. Uh, But this is probably one of the first times that I've gone into the year feeling like the Brewers didn't really take the best course of action here. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, you bring up a lot of good points and a lot of things that are on fans' minds, I mean, everywhere in Wisconsin. And obviously, third base, as he touched on, the biggest hole. And I mean, there's always the possibility they could add someone during the season if Jerko or Sogard, one of those guys, doesn't pan out. They have the flexibility, as David Stearns has alluded to a lot of times this offseason, to make maybe a little bit more splashier move during the season. But I guess that's to be determined and I think I think the market didn't play out you know for the first time since when Stearns has been competitive as it had like usually it had been a slow market and this year was was far from it so adding depth and I think another key part is maybe they're hoping that some of their young stars in the making might be able to rise up and kind of be equivocal to like a big signing say Keston Hira for example getting his first shot Uh, as a starter, at least for a full season. But some projections have come out that have told us otherwise. So do you want to kind of take away what the experts are saying on Kesson here and what to expect from him this year? Yeah, so Baseball Prospectus released their projections for the 2020 season. Uh, The projection system is called Pecota. And the Pecota projection for Hira is I think when a lot of fans saw it for the first time, it kind of they were kind of taken aback by it um, because it is significantly below the numbers that he put up in his rookie season. Uh, Pakota projects him this year for a slash line of 254, 317, 448, and a 97 deserved runs created plus. 
So that puts him at roughly like league average offensively, uh, which is obviously a big, big step down from where he was last year. And again, I think a lot of people were surprised by that. And I mean, that's not, it wasn't exactly what I was expecting to see either. Uh, but I can understand why the system came up with that projection. Uh, so deserved runs created plus, which is baseball prospectus, big offensive stat that they just came out with a couple of years ago. The elements that it really pays a lot of attention to are walks and strikeouts, uh, because according to them, those are two outcomes that the hitter really has the most control over. You know, there's not like fielders involved, so there's no like positioning or park factors or different things like that that can influence those outcomes as much as with balls in play. And we know that Keston here can hit, obviously. Uh, but his plate discipline, I think, is like the one flaw that he has at the moment. Uh, he struck out 30% of the time last year, only walked 7% of the time. His swinging strike rate was 17.5%. And obviously, I mean, that can improve as he acclimates more to big league pitching. But right now, there is a lot of swing and miss in his game, and he doesn't draw a ton of walks. So it's understandable why deserved runs created plus uh, and the Pakota projections are not especially high on him for next year. However, if you're looking for good news, it's that we know that when this dude puts the bat on the ball, he crushes the baseball. He destroys it. And we saw that uh, just in that small sample from last season. His exit velocity was in the 90th percentile of all major league hitters. His hard hit rate was in the 97th percentile. His barrel rate was in the 92nd percentile. So he is elite when it comes to simply just hitting the baseball, hitting it hard and doing damage. And he hits a lot of line drives. Uh, so I think for those reasons, he's going to be a guy who uh, his batting average on balls in play, it's going to be high because he's got the profile uh, that you would associate with that. Hits the ball hard, hit lot, hits lots of line drives, goes to all fields. And so for that reason, I do think he is someone who could potentially consistently outperform his projections. I think that, you know, I wouldn't expect him to be only like league average, like the projections think he will be. I would put him closer to maybe... I don't know, 10 to 15% above league average. So not, again, not as good as he was last year, uh, but not as bad as the projections, kind of some middle ground. But I do think that, you know, once he kind of gets those plate discipline concerns squared away, you know, makes a little more contact, displays a little more patience, then I think we do have a true superstar on our hands. Uh, but in the meantime, I do think we should kind of prepare ourselves in the back of our minds for the possibility that maybe 2020 is not the Keston Hira breakout season maybe it's coming in 2021 2022 and, you know I think it's important to remember this guy is still young there are still things he needs to work on but we know the talent is there so I would I would say I wouldn't necessarily expect again that projection to come to fruition uh, but I do think you do have to temper your expectations just a little bit for now as you were talking about that Jack instantly the guy that comes to my head is Ryan Braun and like you look at his rookie of the year numbers, he was absolutely incredible that year. And then that next year in 2008, he took a little bit of a step back. He was still an all-star that year, but he batted 285, which was down from 324 the year before. His on-base percentage was down, slugging percentage was down, OPS was down, everything offensively seemed to be down. But then he came back the next year, he was batting 320 again, and then he went on like four straight years of batting in the 300s. So 
I don't think it's crazy to think that the first time he gets up there for a full season, full major league kind of load of playing baseball, that it could go down a little bit. But I think overall, he's still an extremely talented player. And just like Ryan Braun, he is going to, at least at some point, he's going to be the player that we, as Brewer fans, kind of expect him to be. It might not be next year, but 2021, 2022, I think he's going to be a great, great talent for this team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we know that the guy can hit. I mean, the tools are obviously there. We've seen him hit all throughout the minor leagues. He came up here last year, and I mean, he hit. He hit like he's always hit. He's hit at every level he's progressed through, so we know that the ability is there. Uh, I think it's, you know, just fine-tuning some things, polishing his plate discipline a little bit. Uh, But I do think the fact that, you know, just that raw talent, that ability to hit the ball hard, the ability to spray line drives to all fields, I do think that is going to prevent him from, you know, he's not going to crash and burn or anything. I think even at his worst form in his worst season, whether that's next year or whenever that may be, he's still going to be productive. All this talk of little regression kind of got me thinking like, well, we we have Hira now, who's technically it's his second season. This is going to be Brandon Woodruff's second season as a starter going into the year. Do we expect the same kind of trend with him? Maybe he doesn't produce like the numbers he did last year, and he drops down a little bit. Or what? What's the thought process with him there? I do not expect Brandon Woodruff to drop down from last year's production. The projections on him are pretty similar to what he did last year. He's projected to make 29 starts, uh, throw 166 innings, 3.61 ERA, 3.60 fielding independent pitching, uh, 4.03 deserved run average. So maybe slightly worse, uh, but you know, still very, very good. Uh, still arguably the best pitcher on the staff and it's, you know, not really that close. Um, but I do think, you know, I think, you know, just you look at Woodruff, Big dude, 6'4", 215 pounds. You know, he's just kind of got that look of that guy to begin with. You know, kind of that frontline guy. Uh, he throws hard, 96 miles an hour. That was his average fastball velocity for last year. But what's great about him and what why I really like him is he doesn't just rely on that velocity exclusively. He became a much more complete pitcher last year. Um, not only does... So he can use that fastball, that velocity to blow guys away. He struck a lot of guys out last year, 10.58 strikeouts per nine innings. Uh, But also a big thing was he added a two seam fastball to his arsenal and it was very effective. The two seam fastball opponents managed just a 2.69 expected weighted on base average, 25.6% hard hit rate. So as a result of that, his overall hard hit rate, 30.2%, which was in the 91st percentile. So not only did he get a lot of swings and misses, but he was also very good at limiting hard contact and controlling the quality of contact against him. So when you put those two things together, that's very, very promising. You know, the one thing, if anything, that he needs to work on is becoming a little more effective against left-handed batters because that was like the one weakness for him. Uh, Right-handed batters had a 242 weighted on base average. Left-handers had a 333 weighted on base average, which is a little below league average. And I think the big reason for that is his changeup is still a little bit of a work in progress. Um, if he can improve that just a little more to make it really a true weapon against left-handed batters, I think then he can really take that next step. Uh, but, I mean, Brandon Woodruff made very significant strides last year into becoming a much more complete pitcher. 
So for that reason, I would say that he is definitely capable of matching what he did last year and possibly even getting better. Well, that just sounds amazing, considering at least me going into this offseason, I definitely thought that if there was one place that they were going to add that kind of high-level free agent, that's where I wanted it to be personally. And then when Yasmani went and Moose went, then I was like, okay, we need some sort of offense as well. But that initially coming out of the loss in the playoffs, that's that's kind of what I was thinking about. Um, but that sounds incredible. And I mean, if you guys have listened to me on this podcast, you know I'm a huge Brandon Woodruff fan. And we're talking about this kind of second year dip and then third year kind of coming back to the player that they were in their first year. And I just really, I need you to tell me that Corbin Burns is going to be that player we saw in 2018. Okay, so first of all, I'm going to hit you with some bad news on Corbin <laughs> Burns just to just to start out because we gotta we gotta establish a baseline of where he's at right now. He was bad last year. Okay, he was he was terrible. I mean, no matter how you slice it, it doesn't matter what metric you look at. He was bad. 8.82 ERA, 6.09 FIP. 4.99 DRA, I mean, by ERA or the estimators, he was bad. Quality of contact, bad. 18th percentile in hard hit rate, 22nd percentile in exit velo. Bottom 3% in all of baseball in barrel rate. So guys were squaring him up, and they were hitting him very hard. One thing you might see some people use as kind of an explanation for, well, maybe he wasn't that bad, maybe he was unlucky, is his home run to fly ball ratio. 38.6% of the fly balls that he allowed left the ballpark as home runs. And you compare that to the league average of 15.3%. So his home run to fly ball ratio was over double the league average. So some people might look at that and say he was just very, very unlucky. And that's why um, expected feeling independent pitching, which treats stuff like that as unlucky and just estimates kind of what the ERA would be if you had a league average home run to fly ball ratio. Uh, he had a 3.37 expected fielding independent pitching. And that's like the one metric, the one estimator that you can look at. And it will say, no, he wasn't that bad last year. Problem is, when we dig a little deeper, that home run to fly ball ratio really wasn't the product of bad luck. It was just the product of getting smoked. His average exit velocity allowed on fly balls was 95.6 miles an hour. And that was the sixth worst exit velocity on fly balls among all MLB pitchers who gave up at least 30 fly balls. The average distance on those fly balls, 357 feet, which is the second worst. Opponent weighted on base average on fly balls hit against Burns, 1,096, which is like mind-blowing. <laughs> the expected weighted on base average on fly balls hit off of Burns, it was significantly lower. That's the good news, uh, but the bad news is it was still 808, which is still very bad. So, I mean, he really wasn't unlucky last year. He was legitimately getting hit this hard. He was that bad, that ineffective. Seemed like the ball looked like a beach ball to hitters when they were facing him. But the good news is that all of the tools that Burns possessed heading into last year, he still possesses all of those tools heading into this year. He throws very hard like Woodruff. He's got elite spin, which is something that Woodruff does not have. Uh, Burns' spin rate is literally like top 1% in all of baseball. He's like basically the best 
uh, when it comes to generating spin on his fastball. He's got swing and miss stuff, you know, that we see that velocity and that spin rate manifesting itself in the strikeouts, 12.86 strikeouts per nine innings, 17.2% swinging strike rate. And as bad as he was last year, his slider, his breaking ball was very, very effective. Opponents had just a 223 weighted on base average against it last year, and they swung and missed at it, I think, like almost 50% of the time. Uh, so, you know, the stuff is still there, and we clearly see that. Uh, he throws hard, you know, spin rate, good breaking ball. So I think, you know, those elements would still put his floor for next year at effective relief pitcher. I think the biggest thing for him moving forward is he just needs to command the baseball better. You know, he's he threw a lot of pitches down in the strike zone last year, which I've talked about it before. That's not a great place for a high spin fastball. Ideally, you want to throw it up in the zone. And I mean, whether that was the Brewers calling pitches down there or if he was missing location sometimes or if he just didn't feel comfortable throwing the ball up in the strike zone. So they decided to change their philosophy a little bit. Uh, if he's going to continue throwing down in the strike zone, what he's really going to need is he's going to need what we saw when he a little bit when he came back up last year, um, and we saw it in 2018 as well. That cut fastball when he is when he's really going, he's got that hard fastball, and it's got really noticeable cutting action. It almost looks like he's throwing a 97 mile an hour slider. So if he wants to throw down in the zone, he needs to have that pitch with some movement on it. Uh, if he's not going to be able to get that back, he's probably going to have to transition more to throwing up in the zone if that fastball is going to stay straighter. But, I mean, I think the biggest thing for him, you know, he got an offseason to kind of take it easy, regroup, maybe figure out some mechanical flaws. Uh, he can come back this spring, and if his command is better, his control is better, he's got a little more movement on his fastball again, then absolutely, he can absolutely bounce back, and he can be a uh, very productive part of the bullpen he could maybe even be a very productive part of the rotation but I think I would wait until he can develop more of a third pitch before uh, getting back to you know he can be a very good starter again but I do think at least at the very least he can be a good reliever and it it really wouldn't surprise me if the Brewers are once again counting on him to pitch important innings for them this season um, you know I think that their hope is still that Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns can grab hold of rotation spots. Uh, the only difference is this year they went out and they actually added some guys to put ahead of them on the pecking order. They went out, they added Josh Lindblom, they added uh, Eric Lauer, they added Brett Anderson. So those are three guys now that are kind of ahead of them on the pecking order. So now they do have, you know, a little more protection. They're not going into the season with Corbin Burns in the rotation. And then if he crashes and burns, you're kind of in panic mode. Uh, but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to see him maybe get some starts. But at the very least, I do think he's going to be uh, up in the bullpen at some point. He's going to be pitching important innings for this team. And, you know, even if he's not lights out, I think he's going to get back to the point where he can provide some value and he can be an important contributor for them next season. So as bad as last year was, and it was very, very, very bad, he basically couldn't have pitched much worse and he couldn't have been hit much harder. Uh, but all the tools are still there. The stuff is still there. And so, you know, give him give him that offseason to kind of relax a little bit, get his composure back, maybe rebuild a little bit of confidence, uh, give him another shot. And I would not be surprised to see him become a productive piece for this team again. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about his ability to only throw two pitches and then 
David Stern says they're going to treat him like a starter in spring training. Do you think that's just more of like a confidence thing? Like, hey, we still believe you can be this guy, even though and everyone else knows that's truly not where you are at this point in your career. <laughs> I mean, I think part of it. Yeah, definitely. You want to show some confidence in a guy. But I also do think the Brewers legitimately believe that they believe that he can be an effective starter. I mean, ideally, you'd like to see him have three pitches. But I mean, he could be effective if those two pitches are very, very good pitches. And maybe he can add, you know, like a mediocre change up in or something that he can throw, you know, to left handed batters or kind of sprinkle in as he gets through a batting order multiple times. And if it can be marginally effective, I mean, that would be helpful already but yeah and i i do think that they have you know the plan set out and the plan does involve burns maybe getting a couple starts at some point in the year so yeah absolutely i just think corbin burns and ray black have been working on their control all off season and they're both gonna be great flamethrowers out of the bullpen and they're gonna have control both of them are gonna have some control and we're gonna see close to their potential this year yeah i mean that if both of them can figure out how to throw strikes more consistently and throw the ball where they want it that makes a big difference i mean velocity is great and velocity absolutely helps you be effective if you have velocity it's a lot easier to blow it right by guys but still if you're not hitting your spots and throwing it where you want to um they're gonna they're gonna punish you so i mean control control is big for guys like burns and for black i mean the velocity is there obviously and we've seen the swing and miss stuff. Um, I think control really is just kind of that that big missing puzzle piece. So if they can figure that out, yeah, look out. And I'm, I'm glad we brought up all the flamethrowers because there are a bunch of them. I mean, even J.P. Feierheisen can bring the heat. Hater's got a pretty damn fastball. And I can't help by thinking, like, maybe this isn't by accident. Because, I mean, you look at the Brewers' catcher situation in Nervias, and maybe you don't really want guys pitching low in the zone, throwing pitches in the dirt with his uh, lack of or inability to to be a d- good defensive catcher, at least from what he's shown so far. So, I mean, yeah, velocity is good and location is good, as we mentioned, but I think it's also realizing who you primarily want at catcher and using that to your advantage as well. That could be part of it, definitely. And I think when the Brewers brought in Narvaez and then you know, they right away, one of the first moves that they made was they traded away Zach Davies, who is a guy is heavily reliant on hitting the corners, command, keeping the ball down. Maybe he'll drop a curveball in the dirt then to get a swing and miss. And, you know, those are not framing and blocking and just about anything that involves defense are not Narvaez's strengths. Uh, but then they turned around and they brought in Brett Anderson, who is basically uh, Zach Davies, but worse. Um, his peripherals were not as good. He gets even fewer strikeouts than Davies. And he is another guy who, once again, is very reliant on hitting his spots down in the zone, painting the corners, uh, finesse guy. So part of it, I think having those velocity guys makes it a little little easier, puts a little less pressure on their to improve. Uh, but I did have the opportunity to talk to David Stearns. He was actually, he came to town a couple of weeks ago and he was doing a Q&A at, um, one of my buddies knows a guy who works at uh, an insurance company in West Bend and David Stearns came by for a Q&A so he had me come with and one of the questions well the only question I got a chance to ask him was you know kind of what was do you think Narvaez can get better or have you guys kind of changed your philosophy or how you value uh, defense behind the plate and he did say that 
they expect Narvaez to improve a little bit after he does some work with the coaching staff uh, and all those things. They think there are different drills and stuff that he can do to get better. So, yeah, velocity helps, obviously. You know, if you have fewer pitchers who you really have to worry about Narvaez blocking or framing, uh, that, that probably makes a little bit of a difference. Uh, but overall, I don't think the philosophy has changed too much, but we'll see what happens. All right, Trevor, did that satisfy your Corbin Burns hype up, or are you not there yet? Well, I could have done without the first part of that Corbin Burns segment, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> for the most part, I I haven't lost a ton of faith in him. Obviously, like Jack said, he was terrible last year, but also his stuff is still there. He still has fantastic stuff. He always has. So I am just banking on that and hoping that, he figured out whatever was going on, whether it was mechanical or something else. Maybe it was mental. Like, I don't know what it was, but hopefully the Brewers and Corbin Burns figured it out, fix it, and he is back to at least close to what we saw in 2018. New year, new Burns. That's got a yep. good ring to it, yep. along with the bounce-back Brewers. So <laughs> all those are very fitting for this year's team. But again, I'd like to thank Jack Stern for joining us again. It was a pleasure as always. Hopefully we can go for a third time at some point here. But can you remind my listeners here one more time where they can find the work you do before we get out of here? All right. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Baseball7310. I tweet way too much. Uh, So if you would like lots and lots and lots of baseball tweets in your feed, you can follow me. Or you can read some of the stuff that I write at brewcrewball.com. Usually I'll put up maybe, I don't know, one or two articles a month or something. Uh, Obviously not as much as the rest of our awesome staff puts up. Uh, But, you know, I do put some stuff up over there. So those are two places where you can find my work. Awesome. Thanks for joining us again. Yeah, thanks Thanks, for having me, guys. All right. And now we will transition into our Q&A portion of the podcast, which... We got one question, Trevor. We have a question. We finally have a question. We're going to spend some quality time talking about it. That way, all you future question askers will not hesitate to ask. So you know that we will answer them. Because <laughs> we like to yeah, answer. So, because we all want to hear Tyler say question askers again. <laughs> hey, it's catchy. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> All right. Question is from Double D with a winky face. And it is, do you think Ross Stripling will be picked up by the Brewers? So Ross Stripling, if you're not familiar, is a pitcher in the Dodgers organization. He bounced around between a starter and a reliever last year. Was pretty effective with a 3-4-7 ERA in just under or just over 90 innings. And if he was to be added to the Brewers rotation, he would essentially probably be the second best starter over Hauser, I would assume. Um, so it definitely would bolster the starting rotation. But what are your thoughts on this, Trevor? Do you think it's a possibility the Brewers go after him via trade? I mean, obviously anything is possible. I think it. looking at his numbers, I don't think it's crazy to think that that's something that the Brewers could do. Um, And if you didn't know, he was actually in the Jock Peterson deal that 
recently, I don't know if it got vetoed, but the trade went through. That's trade's not happening, so he's on the Dodgers again. So this is kind of where this rumor came from, started, that would this be a good idea for the Brewers to try to go after his services because they already tried to trade him once, so why not try to go for him again? And you look at his numbers, I mean, they're pretty good. Looking back, like even his career numbers are pretty good. 3.51 ERA, uh, whip is 1.196. It's a little better last year. You look at his home run per nine, that's always something I like to look at, especially with Brewer pitchers. I believe last year the average was 1.3. Uh, 2019, he was at 1.1. Over his career, he's been about 1.1. Actually, in 2018, when he was in All-Stars at 1.3, so he's been, and that was his worst season for home run per nine, and that's been the average the last few years or close to it. So he's been about average in that regard, so pretty decent there, and he strikes out a good amount of batters as well. You take out his 2016 numbers, which was his first year, uh, he only had 22 games that he appeared in that year, but... You look at 2017, he had nine strikeouts per nine. 2018, 10 strikeouts per nine. 2019, 9.2. So they are fairly decent numbers. And I really feel like his ERA, even his field independent pitching, and Jack talks a lot about that with some of the other pitchers that we talked about in the earlier segment, those numbers are pretty damn close to what his ERAs were the past few years. In 2017, his ERA was 3.75. His FIP was 3.68. Pretty close. 2018, this was his all-star year. He had an ERA of 3.02, a FIP of 3.41. So his pitching was, or he had a little bit more luck than what his pitching deserved, but still a 3.41 FIP is damn good. And then 2019, he had actually the same ERA and FIP at 3.47. So what you see in his ERA numbers is what you're going to get out of this guy. He, If you're looking at all of that, I think it makes a ton of sense as to why that wouldn't be. Now, it's whether the Brewers can make the logistics correct, um, make all the money work, all of that sort of stuff outside of it. But if it makes sense, they don't have to give up a lot. You know, they're not giving away their some top prospects or anything like that. I I think it would be worth it. And it's like you said, Tyler, he's probably your second best pitcher. And if you can get it at a decent cost, I think it would make a world of sense for the Brewers to try to go after him if he is indeed available. All right, and cost is always the tricky part between two trades. I mean, that's kind of how they happen. And you mentioned not giving up, you know, top prospects, but and the Brewers just don't have a lot to give up with, right? I mean, they don't have a lot to offer because, as you pointed out via the stats, Stripling's been a really good pitcher, and he's under club control for two more years after the season. He signed for 2.1 this year, so that's his first year of arbitration, Then he's got two more years after that. So yeah, he absolutely could be a great addition and help this team out for a couple years to come at a pretty cheap option at least contract-wise, but I don't, I just can't see what the Brewers have to offer to the Dodgers. I mean, they don't need, they don't need the Dodgers are loaded with prospects. <laughs> I mean, you can never have 
too many, but like who would intrigue them from the Brewers organization? I, I don't know. And the Dodgers seem to have a funny way of turning not so big prospect names into really good players. So that also kind of scares me as well. So would I like to see the dot or the Brewers go after stripling? Yeah, sure. Do I, do I think it's likely I'm going to say, I'm going to say it's pretty unlikely at this point. Well, thanks for ruining that for me, (laughs) Tyler. Sorry, buddy. I, I just can't see it happening. <laughs> All right. But if you would like any of your Brewer-related questions answered on the podcast, make sure you are submitting them in via Twitter or via Patreon. If you become a member, you'll get question priority. And again, that goes for all of our other podcasts at the Packers Trilogy Podcast and the Bucks Trilogy Podcast. So make sure you are checking all of those out as well. But I think that will just about do it for us today. And we will talk to you guys most likely next week unless something big happens. So see you later, Brewer fans. Justin Stearns.